Amen. Thank you, Darren. You know, all of us are probably still full from that most famous of American holidays, Black Friday, and uh, the day when families come together to spend their children's inheritance on things that don't truly satisfy. Where we search the internet for just the right deals on big screen TVs, where we can start getting ready for Christmas. And it's official now. We can start getting ready for Christmas uh, this morning. We can put up our decorations. I felt bad because uh, on Saturday, everyone already had their decorations up around our block, and I, I still hadn't gotten the tree out of the attic yet. Uh, but it's now official. We can do that. Uh, but what's amazing now about our culture is that Black Friday isn't enough. We now have Small Business Saturday and Cyber Monday. That's tomorrow, right? Cyber Monday tomorrow. So uh, you got a lot more buying to do. Uh, here in the next several days. But as, as we look at our, our culture and, and, and the, the focus of what we do, we can see that the focus on these special days is getting a good deal. We all like to get a good deal, don't we? I mean, myself included. We like good deals. Uh, we, we, we think often that buying things will make our lives better, that buying things can office bring us peace and hope and joy and love. And now we would never say that out loud uh, but internally, that's why oftentimes we buy things is because we do hope it'll make our lives a little better, a little easier. Um, but I also know that this season can bring a lot of stress on families. And, and it's fascinating. Why is it that something that is supposed to bring peace brings stress? We know the answer instinctively. Our family's crazy. But uh, for some of us, Right. Uh, and, and the culture it drive, uh, drives us to spend more and more to have the perfect Christmas. We want the Hallmark movie Christmas, don't we? We all do. And when our lives don't live up to those external and sometimes internal expectations, we can often come away thinking it's, it's just another Christmas. But my prayer for us this year is, is to go beyond the culture to experience the peace, hope, joy, and love that Christmas truly is, a gift that cannot be bought. That's what we're looking at this morning. We're going to celebrate what we've already been given. We're gonna celebrate what we've already been given. We have expectation of more that will be given as well, and we'll celebrate that too, but, but we're gonna celebrate also what we've already been given. And to do that, it'll take us some time to strip back uh, from the glitz and the lights to get to the heart of Christmas but if we do, hopefully then we'll see that that's enough, that it is enough. It's more than enough. It is good. And I like things that are good. Now, if you've grown up in the church, it's the same story you've heard all your life. Uh, all of us have heard it. But in our culture, the, the real story of Christmas, it gets relegated to the clearance aisle, right? In the back of the store. It's been overlooked by the masses and replaced by new plastic cheap gadgets made in China. So as we begin this season again, we're going to hopefully step beyond the, the glamour and the lights, although I love that all, and look at Christmas from a little bit different angle. And I think sometimes it takes a little bit different perspective for us to, to truly remind ourselves of what Christmas is and to see the beauty of something. It's my hope that we come away saying with deep satisfaction, this is not just another Christmas and we're going to be telling the story of Christmas from the perspective of Isaiah. 
That is the text we're going to be using as several of Isaiah's texts throughout this season of Advent. We're going to step into the world of this great prophet to see the true glory of Christmas. Today we're looking at the gift of peace, a gift that cannot be bought. And on this first Sunday of Advent, our focus is peace. Doesn't that sound good? I like peace. I don't know about you. We saw earlier what peace means in the Old Testament and the New Testament, both. And we're going to look again at this great vision that Isaiah had at the beginning of the book of Isaiah, chapter 2. Hear these words again. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that may, we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and he shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Such a great prophecy. Such a great vision that Isaiah has at the beginning of this book. And Isaiah is known as the, the prince of prophets. And the whole book of Isaiah is, is like the whole Bible in miniature. I don't know if you know that. We talked about it a little bit in the past. Uh, like the Bible, it has two divisions. And, and the first division, the focus of the first division of Isaiah, uh, the, the main theme of that first division is judgment. And the second division, uh, the focus is hope. Now, there is hope in the first division and there is judgment in the second division. But in both, they have two major themes that kind of bubble up to the surface. But beyond those two themes, all the other themes of the Bible are found in Isaiah. It's pretty cool. It's also fascinating to me that the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters and our Bible has 66 books. Also, the Old Testament has 39 books. And the first division of Isaiah ends after chapter 39. And the second division has 27 chapters, like our New Testament that has 27 books. So we see in Isaiah a microcosm of the whole expanse of Scripture. These major themes running throughout it. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning and over the next several weeks. Is Christmas according to Isaiah? And Isaiah lived around 740 to 700 B.C. A long, long time ago. But more than just the times in which Isaiah lived... God gave Isaiah visions of the future. He writes about future events. He gave him visions of the destruction of Jerusalem that would take place later. And God gave him vision of the return of the Jewish people from exiles to rebuild Jerusalem. But beyond that, God gave Isaiah visions of a time beyond when a Messiah would come and make all things right. And beyond that, a time of final judgment when all things would be made right. Now, Isaiah lived in an interesting time of Israel and Judah's history. 
Now, if you remember, the kingdom was divided and you had Israel in the north and you had Judah in the south. And so during this time, uh, Assyria was the nation that dominated the land. They were the major players of the time. And from about 782 BC to about 745 BC, the Assyrian kings weren't much of a threat to Israel. They kind of just left them alone for the, for the mo- most part. Uh, and it was a time of relative peace. It was a time of prosperity and wealth, and there were long reigns of Jewish kings. But all that changed in 745 BC, when a new Assyrian king came to power. You know who it was? Tiglath Pileser III. What a name. Tiglath Pileser III. Everything changed. Israel's peace was shaken to its core. Now, when that happened, the prophecies of old of Amos and Hosea had made earlier seem to, to kind of leap off the pages because they had predicted this was happening. And the land was in a panic. For this new Assyrian king, he wanted it all. He wanted control of everything. He liked power, and he liked to show off his power. And Israel and Judah weren't gonna be left alone anymore. By 740 BC, the land north of the Sea of Galilee, which is up in Israel, was all taken over. Uh, from Israel. And Syria was taken except for its capital, Damascus. So uh, the Assyrians, usually when, when countries came in to attack Israel or Judah, they didn't come straight across because it was barren. You'd have to go up north and come down or you'd come up through Egypt and go up. And so the Assyrians were coming up north and coming down as they came. And the kings of Judah in the south and Israel in the north were scrambling to figure out how to stop this juggernaut called the Assyrians because they were about to wash over them. And Ahaz was the king of Judah in the south. And he didn't know what to do. He was really stuck between a rock and a hard place. See, should he join forces with the nation of Israel and Syria to try to fight off the Assyrians, he knew that if he failed, that Assyria had had a very simple process and policy for kings who tried to fight them. This was the Assyrian policy for conquered kings. Slow, tortuous death. Simple. Didn't matter who you were. If we take you over, you fight us, and we win, you will be tortured and slowly die. Or, so, or he could try to make peace with Assyria. And if he tried to make peace with Assyria, then most likely Israel and Syria would attack him from the north. He was between a rock and a hard place. And the whole nation of Judah knew that the stakes were high. Israel, Syria, Judah, and any other nation that hadn't bowed the knee to Assyria yet was in for destruction. Peace was gone. There is no more peace. In this world, the prophet Isaiah lived. There's no more peace. A world where the thought of peace was gone. I know all of us have lived in that world before, at one time or another. One day it seems peace is all around us, 
And in an instant, it's snatched away from us. The death of a loved one, the layoff from work, the call from the doctor, the papers for divorce, the doubts from the enemy, all threaten to take away our peace. Into this world, God broke in and he spoke to Isaiah and he gave him a vision of the future, a vision of peace for Judah and Jerusalem. Let's read it again in light of the context. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. He'll judge between the nations. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. That's good news when you're living in a land of no peace. Two great themes of Isaiah are presented in this passage. Judgment and hope. Judgment and hope. God will judge the nations. And judgment means so much more than what we often think about. It's not just telling people they're wrong, but it is a reordering of how life is lived and administered. Judgment means to make things right. Do you hear that? Judgment means to make things right. So, you know, when you hear people say, stop judging me, they have a little bit wrong idea of judgment they're thinking it's condemnation. And, and there is a sense of condemnation in judgment, but it's more about, I want to make sure everything is right, that we are living in shalom. That's what judgment means, to make things right. It is a reordering of life. And this great prophecy of peace is for the whole world. It's not just for Judah, it's for all the nations. It says all the nations will stream to Jerusalem. All the nations will be instructed by God. In the midst of the chaos, a vision of peace. In the midst of an angry king coming to conquer, a vision of peace. In the midst of uncertainty, shalom. In spite of the uncertainty, God promises peace. And we are called to be a people of peace as well. We are called to live a life of peace in the midst of of a broken world. And how does this vision of peace end? With these life transforming words. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Say it with me. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. I love it. Peace comes not from our circumstances, but from our understanding that God has broken through the darkness of the world and brought light. From the realization that God is in control and will make all things right. That God will bring peace. That is our hope. Let us walk in the light of the word. 
Isaiah anticipated a time of peace. He prophesied of a time when a Messiah would come, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah could walk in peace because he trusted the words of God. He wouldn't live to see the promise come. We have to remember that. Sometimes we won't live to see the promise come. But he walked in assurance because he knew that God was trustworthy. 740 to 700 BC is when Isaiah lived and wrote. He wrote of a future. He wrote of a future Messiah and a future peace. 700 years later, another prophet of God would come face to face with a promised Messiah, Jesus. Jesus would ask him to come and follow him. And when John experienced the Prince of Peace, what did he write? He wrote these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And Jesus was the light of all peoples. And Jesus was the light of all nations. Do you hear that? Here's the gift that cannot be bought. The gift of Jesus who brings the light of peace. We lit that candle this morning as a reminder of the peace that Jesus brings. Don't let the chaos of the world overwhelm you. For we have the light of peace. John goes on to say just a few verses later, and the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. This is the way that John describes Christmas. This was his description of Christmas. It wasn't a manger scene. It wasn't lights. It was much deeper, much bigger than that. In the beginning was the word. And the word became flesh and lived amongst us and brought life and light. This is the way John describes. Later on in the gospel of John, Jesus himself will say, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Isn't that a great promise? But that promise was given and echoed in Isaiah's ears as well when he wrote, O house of Jacob, walk in the light of the Lord. O church, this isn't just another Christmas. We've been given a gift that cannot be bought, the gift of peace. But more than the gift of peace, we have been given the Prince of Peace, Jesus, the Word made flesh, the light of the world. We come this morning to celebrate that light, the gift that cannot be bought. We no longer walk in darkness. We have been saved by the Prince of Peace. Let us pray. Thank you, O oh God, for the peace that only you can give.
Help us to be a people of peace as well, we pray. May we experience your peace this Advent season. In the midst of surgery, in the midst of cancer, in the midst of loss, in the midst of grief, in the midst of stress, in the midst of work, in the midst of life, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our scattered brains, in the midst of it all, your light shines and can bring peace. And all God's people said, amen. I invite our ushers to come forward as we take our morning offering. As we take our offering, you can play.